And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York. Good to be here, Dan. And uh, Dr. Hans Vogt, professor, Ulster County Community College. Hi, Dan. Well, gentlemen, it's nice to have you here in the studio with us again. And, um, you know, this past week, um, I guess it was midweek Tuesday, was an important date in American history. And Hans, you were the one that reminded me of this. And um, Tuesday, April the 12th, marked something significant. And maybe you can explain to our listeners what that is. Well, it was the 150th anniversary of the beginning of the Civil War. Uh, On April 12th, 1861, uh, Confederate forces commanded by uh, Pierre Beauregard fired on Fort Sumter, which is on an island in the mouth of Charleston Harbor. Uh, commanded by Major Robert Anderson, and the following day, the 13th, uh, Major Anderson surrendered the fort. Mm-hmm. Interesting little side note there is that Major Anderson had been Beauregard's artillery instructor at West oh. Point. So, in a sense, uh, Beauregard was showing his former professor how well he learned his lessons. Yeah. I hope none of my students ever show me in That's a similar right. way how they learned their lessons. <laughs> uh, right away, that, yeah. that illustrates the, um, the emotional sadness that is accompanied in this particular point in America's history, this um, has sometimes been called a grand experiment in human liberty, known as the United mm. States. And some would say that at least during this time, that grand experiment failed uh, while debating issues concerning the freedom of, of the slaves, for example. And instead of settling our differences with one another by debate, compromise, taking our time, having cooler heads, patience, all the rest... Um, unfortunately, America went to war. About how many people lost their lives in this war? Around 633,000 men lost their lives. That's North and South combined. Yeah. You know, Far and you, away the worst of any yeah, conflict. When you hear the number yeah. at first, you don't hear the thousand after it, and you think, wow, over 600 people lost their lives. And then you realize, wait a minute, he said 630,000 people and these are americans these are these are brother fighting brother and real blood being shed on our soil um what about leading up to this war what were some of the uh, perspectives from the north from the south that might even lead to such a uh, conflict well this is a conflict that had been brewing for decades um and, and really you can go right back to the founding um to some of the debates and, and compromises that took place at, at the Constitutional Convention um, regarding slavery and regarding um, exactly where the boundaries lay between the powers of the national government and the powers of the state governments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had been issued, you know, Federalists and Jeffersonians had debated it, Democrats and Whigs had debated it, um, and now it, it had been a central issue, obviously, in the 1860 election. Uh, which Lincoln and the Republicans win, and then finally things reached the breaking point uh, in the winter of 1860-61 when 11 southern states chose to, well, seven at first and the other four after Fort mm-hmm. Sumter, but chose to secede from the Union and uh, attempt to establish an independent country. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the issue of slavery, I, I know that's a big one, and I'm not sure we'll resolve every particular concern about it in this short discussion today. Um, I noticed as I was trying to prep for this, unsuccessful, I'm afraid, that Benjamin Franklin in uh, 1790 
apparently petitioned Congress urging the federal authorities to adopt measures looking to the final abolition of African slavery throughout the Union. So apparently there were some very early concerns. Absolutely. You have um, you know, a situation in the Revolutionary War where in the wake of that, uh, many, most of the northern states uh, began to gradually abolish slavery. Most northern states abolished slavery on a gradual basis with um, sunset provisions that gradually phased out the institution. Um, others, like Massachusetts, simply abolished it all at once. Now, now that, that piques my interest right there, this sunset. That seems like a gradual, careful dealing with a serious problem um, without bloodshed. That, that seems like a good approach to me. It does, uh, and, and in many ways it was. Uh, there were problems with it, however. Um, uh-huh. In New York, for example, uh, as the date for the final freeing of the slaves drew near, what many slave owners did was sell their slaves south. Okay. They got uh, around the law. And got around the law, <laughs> yes. So, the, you know, as long as there have been laws, there have been people finding ways to get around it. So yeah, that's true. That's uh, true. The intent of the law was not always honored, unfortunately. Now, did... Um did the Constitution recognize property in slaves? Is, is that how this thing worked? It did. I mean, if you look at the text of the Constitution, you will not see, of course, mm-hmm. the word slavery or slave, okay. um, because they had enough moral compunction to, to feel somewhat embarrassed by having to use that word. Yes. Um, but at the same time, um, both uh, slavery and indentured servitude are referred to uh, in the document uh, as existing um, social institutions at the time. What, Mark, what's the difference? Uh, you haven't had a chance to speak yet. What, what is the difference between slavery and indentured servitude? Well, indentured servitude was, uh, was the kind of thing. Well, actually, the, a lot of people didn't make much distinction between it at the time. And see, that's the problem. Huh. Uh-huh. You know, but there is a distinction, and especially when you look at the, in terms of, of the biblical context of it, hmm. because... You had people talking at cross-purposes, you know, through this whole debate. But basically, indentured servitude was, uh, you know, either because you had large debts or because you wanted to come to America and couldn't afford it, you sold yourself essentially into slavery. And so you were that indentured servant, but there was a limitation to it. After you gave your service, then you were free. And so... It was a little different than the closed servitude of slavery, or what I like to call chattel slavery or race-based slavery. Uh, There is just a sense of of having property and no sense of uh, at some point you would be freed. Mm -hmm. There was no jubilee there. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, um, I see we're already up against a break. Hold that thought. We'll come right back and continue this discussion looking a little bit more closely at slavery and the events leading up to this war. You're listening to A Plain Answer right here on Redeemer Broadcasting. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Sir! Sir! Would you help me up, please? Sir, could you tell me what your name is? Who you are? I would like to speak to General Hancock. Do you know where General Hancock may be found? I'm sorry, sir. The general's down. He's been hit. No. Not both of us. Not all of us. Please. God. Sir. Sir, we're having a surgeon come as quickly as we can. Can you hear me, son? Yes, sir. I can hear you. 
Will you tell General Hancock General Armistead sends his regrets? Will you tell him how very sorry I am? I would tell her, sir. I would tell her. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Today we're talking about the 150th anniversary of the Civil War, or as some like to say, the war between the states. Um, We were talking a little bit about slavery and um, events leading up to this war. Um, let's keep going. We haven't uh, even begun, really, to scratch the surface. Where do we take it from here, Hans Vogt? Well, we talked about the fact that after the Revolution, northern states began the process of abolishing slavery. Uh, and in the South, you also saw a wave of manumission, that's the legal term for freeing slaves, after the Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, some, like George Washington, freed their slaves in their will. Uh, others simply freed them outright. Um, but what really changes um, is the development of cotton as the major cash crop in the South. Um, and you're probably familiar, um, perhaps back in, in your school days, you remember the name of Eli Whitney and the cotton mm. gin, mm-hmm. which is short for engine, it's not a drink, uh, but it was a device for <laughs> se- separating seeds from the cotton. But that really turned cotton into a very profitable crop, uh, which spread quickly across the whole lower South, uh, and it became um, not only important for the South, but for the nation as a whole. Hmm. Cotton made up 40% of U.S. exports uh, in the antebellum period, the decades prior to the Civil War. Northern textile factories were using Southern cotton. Northern merchants were exporting cotton. Um, so the whole nation uh, had an economic investment in this. And, of hmm. course, it was 75% of all that cotton. And the, the South was producing 75% of the world's cotton. of what the South produced was produced by slave labor. Yeah, so there's the tie-in now. Yeah. In order to um, provide the manpower needed to uh, plant this, harvest it, get it out, move it, um, you needed slaves, or so they thought. Right. And obviously you could have paid a workforce to do that as well, Mm -hmm. but that would have eaten into profits. Um, Profits Mm -hmm. on cotton averaged 8% a year for 40 years 
which hmm. is, uh, when you think about it, an amazing investment. I mean, we'd all love our retirement yeah. accounts to average 8% a year for 40 years, yeah, right? really. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the average wealth of a slave owner in the Cotton South was 14 times greater than the average wealth of a non-slave owner. So for those mm-hmm. who had plantations and had slaves, this was an enormous moneymaker. So this, was, uh, this is a real temptation, if you will, to, uh, mm-hmm. to want to acquire slaves because it was a path to wealth. Did um, some of the people in the South see the, the problems of slavery? Uh, certainly they must have had a conscience. Oh, yes. There were, there were voices uh, opposed to it. Um, certainly you had many, actually, of the uh, plantation mistresses, the, the wives uh, and mothers right. on the plantations were opposed to it because they saw firsthand its effects. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only in terms of greed, um, but in terms of the abuse Mm-hmm. that some slave owners um, took advantage of their power over their slaves to abuse them physically or sexually or, you know, mm-hmm. ways like that. And, um, you know, so there are many critics who, who pointed this out and, and said, you know, this is uh, Mary Boykin Chestnut, as a matter of fact, plantation mistress of South Carolina. Name. She said, God forgive us, but ours is a monstrous system. Yeah, yeah that's well put. There were some problems with it. Uh, of course, I think one of the the bad big issues there was a was a theological issue. You know, we had mentioned the difference mm-hmm. between them, and and he, this was a problem. You know, even for some of the theologians, uh, James Henley Thornwell, which is one of the bigger theologians, the best theologians of the South at that time. Uh, basically, when he was arguing uh, for slavery, he said, "Is it biblical?" Well, yeah, it is. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament with, with Onesimus and, and Paul being unwilling to free him, if you will. But, but what kind of slavery was that as but, compared to the South? But so this is the problem. Yeah. Thornwell didn't make any distinction at that point. Right. Now, to be fair, he may, he may have said slavery is legal. Now let's look at what kind of slavery. And this is, is the real problem. Mm-hmm. And the issue that comes up with this is that... It became race-based, and, yes. and it, it was it was the, the black African slaves, and it was chattel slavery. There was no—the people were looked at it completely as, as property. They were not looked right. at in the same level as yeah. the Old Testament had slaves where you had, you know, the year of Jubilee. You had laws uh, mm-hmm. protecting the, uh, the treatment of slaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was an institution that became ingrained— um, it had benefits to the people. In our own day, it would be interesting to explore some institutions and traditions we have in America that have become ingrained and which also are ungodly. Maybe we'll talk about that some some point in the future. I don't know if we shouldn't do it now, because I think one of the big issues of the whole thing, and I know what you're thinking of, you're thinking of abortion. Well, you jumped all the way to to the end point. That that certainly is one that I was thinking about, and a very major one. But but what is the argument? The argument is that the unborn child is not a full person. Right. What was the argument for slavery? The same. The mm-hmm. same thing. Yeah. And and you had individuals standing up and and saying, and even a theology developing, which is has been variously called the Hamitic curse, going all the way back to Genesis, where. Uh, Ham was cursed by Noah, and, mm-hmm. and actually it wasn't Ham, it was Canaan. It was a Canaanite curse, but it's always called the Hamitic curse. Hmm. Um, and because of that, it was said, that, and of course he said that he would be servant, 
um, that the uh, black race was inferior. Yeah, so it was a long stretch, you're saying, to apply that and, it was and a, justify <laughs> um, not seeing the image of God in a black man well, that's the versus point. a white man it was, when there is no difference. It wasn't a stretch. It was an aberration. Aberration, it was total indeed. aberration. And first off, uh, none of them could really connect uh, the the black African people to Canaan with mm-hmm. any kind of certainty. E- exactly. And, yeah. and, and second, even when you have these curses, that doesn't mean that the value is less. I mean, good grief, God right. cursed Israel, his chosen people. But what was he saying? He was saying, okay, you're going to be suffering because you've turned your back on me. He wasn't saying you're any less value. There, there's a lesson here, isn't there? Where right. uh, here's a here's a nation, you know, pretty much founded on Christian principles, and we can get our blinders on. We can miss some things that are right before our very noses. And in this case, it's the fact that all men are created equal, which which appears in our founding documents, <laughs> uh, but it comes out of the scriptures, right? Yeah. And that's the key. When we talk about natural religion in the uh, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, it was biblically based. Mm-hmm. When you get along to th- this, you have an individual like Alexander Stevens, who comes up and says, "Well, naturally, we see that the the white race is superior to the to the black race." Mm-hmm. And it's like, naturally, we see that. Where do yeah. we see that naturally? I don't see it in scriptures. No, and no so it doesn't exist. And so it was a, a great distortion. Um, by using natural religion apart from the scriptures because mm-hmm. it looked what society was doing at the time and saying that's right, mm-hmm. and you can't do that. Well, that's it. You know, do you start where we should start, begin with, is scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how does this apply to my situation? Yeah. What we often do, and, and what today and, and certainly back then, is we start with what do I want to do now? And then I'll go back to my try Bible to and try to find a verse that makes, <laughs> right. makes it okay. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, good point. Slavery. We've talked about chattel slavery. And so, uh, Mark, that means just simply ownership? Yeah. Property? Just ownership, property. Okay. Basically, you can do what you want. And, and the horrendous things that happened with that was, and it didn't happen, obviously, in, in, in all cases in the South, but in some cases, you had the destruction of the families. Yeah. You know, and that that was horrendous. I've read accounts um, in trying to prep a little bit for this today, and some of the accounts are just absolutely horrendous. There were some slave owners that really did take good care of their slaves, but put that aside for a moment. Let's just review quickly, if you know of any accounts, um, maybe Hans, you do, of what kind of treatment are we talking about here? Well, again, it varies, obviously, from master to master, but certainly any time you give one human being absolute power over another with no restriction, uh, you create a strong temptation to abuse that power. Um, You know, one-third of all marriages between slaves were broken up by the sale of Mm -hmm. one or both spouses. Uh, Close to half of all slave children grew up without one of their two parents Mm. uh, as a result of this. Um, You know, as the new Western plantations are established in Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, um, almost all of the slave force that goes to work in those plantations is sold. Um, So, again, you're breaking up families to bring... um, You know, one of the most heartrending things is that once the Civil War ends... You have 
hundreds of thousands of former slaves traveling around desperately trying to locate their loved ones oh, that sure. they haven't seen for 10 or 20 years. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. 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 And, you, you know, that's, that's uh, slavery at its worst. But even slavery mm-hmm. at its best, one of the things that uh, impressed me, the, the movie Gods and Generals, if, if you watch that, you see, and I think it was fairly accurate uh, portrayal of Stonewall Jackson, uh, who, who was a great general and, and a great man. And uh, the indication is that he treated his slaves very well. He was not one of those who treated them badly, but he was one who treated them very well. But even at its best, the slave's still a slave. And that was yes. brought out in the, that movie that, yeah, as well as they were treated, they, they still wanted to be mm-hmm. free, which is right. Sure. Which they should be. I read someplace that Jackson, was it? He was um, Sunday school superintendent for black, yeah. um, yes, black students. I thought yeah. that was that was interesting. Yeah. Um, something turned though. Um, prior to the war, leading up to the war, um, it seemed like um, from what little I read, um, there may have been some movements to say, yeah, you know, maybe we ought to release slaves here, release them there. Um, there is some, um, for lack of a better word, some agitation that happens and it seems that it kind of galvanized the south to being open to releasing the slaves can somebody share that you yeah. have two factors going on one is you have in uh really beginning in the 1830s and 40s you have the abolition movement uh in the north which actually comes out of the second great awakening the revivals of the second great awakening mm-hmm. um which is not to say that every um, abolitionist was an evangelical Protestant, but um, yeah. and and certainly they are calling for um, um, the abolition of of, of all slavery. Uh, some take a gradual approach; others, like William Lloyd Garrison, want it immediately and all at once. Um, the other issue that really drives the conflict leading up to the Civil War is westward expansion, mm-hmm. uh, because as the nation expands westward, that immediately raises the question: Is slavery going to expand westward? Right. Uh, and the basic answer is that um, as the nation expands westward, it's going to be a two-tiered expansion where the northern territories, which eventually become states, will be closed to slavery, and the southern territories, which become states, will mm-hmm. be open to slavery. We see this in 1787 with the Northwest Ordinance, which bans slavery in what will become Ohio and Indiana and Illinois, but allows it in what will become Kentucky and Tennessee and Alabama and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, we see it with the Missouri Compromise in 1820, when Missouri comes in as a slave state, Maine comes in as a free state. But where the agitation really begins is after the Mexican War. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1846, the U.S. goes to war with Mexico, takes essentially the northern half of Mexico away from uh, Mexico, brings it into the U.S. And then there's immediately a battle, uh, politically, and in some cases physically, as in Kansas, yeah. between the, the mm-hmm. slavery and the anti-slavery settlers. Um, and that conflict keeps escalating throughout the decade of the 1850s. And on both sides, the anger and the wrath builds up to a, mm-hmm. a point in 1860 where when Southern Democrats lose the election, they cannot abide the thought of a Republican in the White House mm-hmm. um, and, and a government which they believe threatens yep. their interest in slavery, and they say we have to leave the country. Mm-hmm. Why would people want uh, a new state coming in to be designated as a slave state? I, I wasn't following that in my reading. I mean, what, what was what was in it for them? It seems like they were concerned about their power 
or something. Help me understand that. Well, they are concerned about political power. Remember that representation in Congress, uh, each state, of course, gets two senators, but in the House of Representatives, it's based on population. Mm. Now, what happens is the North has a much bigger population than the South. Yeah. Um, they have an absolute advantage at, at, at a very early time uh, in the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. The only way the South can continue to hold equal power is by maintaining an equal number of slave and free states. Mm -hmm. And what happens after 1850 is there's now an absolute majority of free states. So they no longer, they're a minority in the Senate as well as in the House. And they don't like the way that political future mm -hmm. looks and the threat it poses. Well, well there was a, a real problem because they, they felt that they didn't have a voice. And they, they were being disenfranchised um, by the North, and, and it was using all of its uh, power. And slavery, of course, was, was a big issue, but it was just the part of it. You know, mm -hmm. They felt they were being disenfranchised and, and being... Uh, abused by the North in, in a number of different ways. Now, again, with the slavery, uh, of course, if you read some of the documents, you know they're they're complaining. Hey, we fought for Texas, and mm -hmm. uh, our our people shed blood, and yet you basically don't even listen to us. Yes. And that's that was a real problem. On top of that, of course, you had John Brown running around through Kansas, and and then eventually at Harper's mm -hmm. Ferry. And the other thing that they found so detestable was, yeah, you, you may have been um, anti-slave, the, the abolitionists were, but not only were they anti-slave, they applauded the violence and the killing that went on, and often with innocent people, mm -hmm. just because somebody was an abolitionist. Now, I'm just looking at the clock here, and I realize we're out of time. <laughs> um, but um, just a quick wrap-up thought, and since we are so close on time, I think we should continue this in the next two weeks. Uh, Hans Vogt, just a quick wrap-up thought for us today. Well, I think, as we mentioned before, that when you look at the conflict you know, leading up to this, uh, you know, we see certainly, first of all, how... Our own selfish interests can can twist our understanding of Scripture, and we, we look for ways to justify sinful behavior. Uh, the other thing we see uh, is how uh, political debate can get out of hand. Um, when you get to the point where you are killing each other, uh, when you get to the point where you have congressmen attacking each other, yes. physically assaulting each other on the floors of Congress, um, you know, we, we, and, and ultimately to the point where we're going to slaughter 633,000 people. That's right. That's a debate out of hand. That's right. Mm. Now, we definitely are out of time. We'll continue this, God willing, in two weeks from now. And maybe what we'll do is uh, look at, extend this into our own day and age, and what lessons learned come from the Civil War era that would help us today. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. Hans Vogt. Please join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 